Hi, I'm Lindsay Tauber of Help Around, and I'm happy to welcome you to a specialty patient podcast with your host, Ishai Knobel. Each episode is crafted to bring you new insights into the specialty drug ecosystem. Our guests share Help Around's passion for improving the patient experience and making specialty patients' lives easier. I hope you enjoy listening to this session. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, 10 a.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific, and uh, I'm acknowledging that because we have two people calling in from the West Coast, and I admire you for being wide awake this hour, and thanks for everyone who's joining us today. So um, my name is Ishai Knobel, and I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of HelpRound. Excited to be here today to uh, talk about mobile patient connectivity, how to increase the utilization of patient services. Super excited about, about uh, the guests we have here, the panelists. So first of all, Ian Wen from, uh, from Jaguar Health, uh, Chief Commercial Officer. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for joining us uh, from California. Actually, from Texas. From Texas, right? For Austin. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, thank you. So, uh, okay, I'll t- so I take back the compliments on waking up early. And, um, Eric, Eric, you're calling from San Francisco? Uh, Miami, actually. So I'm, I'm Miami. All right. No compliments. Years, but... 10 a.m. Well, so we have uh, Eric uh, Wagner joining us from Twilio. And uh, Eric is a global lead of enterprise healthcare at Twilio. We're going to be learning a ton today about mobile and how pay- mobile patient connectivity can really drive results. Uh, one panelist who's not able to join us today uh, is Sylvia Wallace from uh, Sanofi. Unfortunately, she had a family emergency. So, uh, but still, we look forward to having a pretty exciting, uh, interesting panel, and I hope that uh, we get to learn a lot today. So, thanks for joining us. Uh, as we go, please shoot questions in the uh, in the chat. We also are going to have a few polls. So, overall, it's going to be pretty fun. But let's let's start with the problem statement. Uh, you know, this is nothing new. Uh, we are struggling with complicated patient journeys, right? Our the, the, the therapies we bring to market are are more specific. They they sometimes require more hurdles to go through, and we we're seeing patient drop off is as high as ever. But what we're here to talk about is actually the utilization of pharma patient support programs. What's interesting and intriguing is that utilization of patient support program has actually gone down over the past few years. So there's a recent Accenture study that shows that 84% of patients are not aware of patient support programs in 2020. And that's compared to 81% in 2015. And this is all while investment in patient support services doubled. So patients are not being reached in a way that they can discover and act on your programs. Uh, And we need to fix this. This is if you look at the overall drop-off, it's about $60 billion that this industry is losing every year. And these are a lot of patients who are not utilizing our patient support programs. Uh, let's dive in on some of the areas um, where mobile can, can have an impact on this. So there are three areas, patient awareness, it's patient onboarding, it's patient adherence. And what, when we mean patient awareness is awareness of the program. Are patients even aware of the programs that are even offered to them? Second is, are patients successful in onboarding? 
is it easy to onboard or is there a lot of manual you know faxes etc that need that are required in order to get a therapy and finally adherence uh are we again putting on patients a lot of work uh or are we using the place the medium where they already are every day mobile in order to make sure that they stay on therapy and success and, and and succeed in their in their journey so if we look how mobile improves patient awareness let's start with awareness there are multiple areas multiple domains where mobile can improve awareness and this is if you look here at the website that we are putting out there display ads um brochures with qr codes uh patient enrollment with qr codes sms web we're going to touch on all these in order to um in order to really make sure that uh that we are using this medium effectively to get patients aware of their services the other piece is that the phone is there and able to navigate the patient to wherever we want them to get so the same medium can push a patient to handle an ERX and e-prescription, especially pharmacy enrollment, non-commercial pharmacy programs, uh, brand hub uh, programs. And you see that all of those are allowing us to very smoothly to drive the patient to where we want them to go at each one of these, at least one of these phases. So this is just kind of a quick overview of, of where, what are we gonna be touching on today? Let's go to the first polling question. What is the percentage of patients using your brand website that are using mobile? Let's let the quality, the answers come in and give people some time, some time to come in. I see that uh, we have uh, we have a nice mix here. I see that uh, the majority of us still doesn't know, and uh, that is actually a really interesting uh, learning point. Twenty-two answers. All right. Well, I'm going to pause here and I'm going to turn to to you, Ian. Uh, and again, um, you, you spend a lot of time on your brand. If you can say a few words about the, the drug that you are responsible for, you're seeing these interesting results. For me, the number that jumps on me is the 65% that you know so many of us just don't know. Um, what was the journey that you went through uh, to understand the utilization of mobile and, and has pharma really followed the patient from web to mobile? Yeah, thanks, Yishai. And, and uh, yeah, I, I can um, empathize with, I think, some of the responses here. We were in that don't know bucket for a long time and had made some assumptions around um, how our patients were, which platform they were using to access our website and as an entry point into our copay program in particular. That's where a lot of our focus has been uh, lately. And of course, you know, over the last, I don't know how many years, we've all been hearing how mobile is growing and, and grabbing share from desktop. Um, but my you know, assumptions still were that the majority of our patients were entering our copay program uh, through, through desktop. And, um, you know, and, and that was our only, um, you know, the, the, the website was optimized for desktop and, and our assumptions you know, seemed reasonable at the time, but we never really stopped to look at that and, and measure that. And I was actually quite shocked with the results, because when we actually took the time to, to look at these metrics, uh, it turns out that greater than 90% of our users 
uh, our patients uh, were using mobile. And uh, I wouldn't have predicted anything close to that um, being that high. Of course, our, you know, our website was not optimized for mobile. So we were creating, unfortunately, probably a painful user experience uh, for patients. Uh, so that was a real eye-opener. It, it kind of taught us, I think, a lesson that we needed to understand, you know, kind of where we were today and the, the shifts in the marketplace, the shifts in, in kind of uh, uh, patient and, and consumer preferences. Um, and yeah, thank you for, for sharing the stats here. So it's 93% were using mobile from the time period, the fairly recent time period that we looked at. So that was a big wake-up call for us. We weren't meeting the patients where they wanted to be or where they were. And uh, we, we were rapidly looking for solutions to offer just a better experience uh, for patients. And I think we've, we've been able to do that. And, and um, you know, I think the, the, the data that we have so far really helped tell that story, looking at higher engagement levels, increases in enrollment, you know, less calls to kind of some of the support functions where patients were having trouble from a technical perspective. Uh, we've seen reductions in, in those calls as well. All really positive indicators that this is the right solution for our patients. It took us a while to get there. I think, you know, uh, to do this over again, I would have started on this a year or two ago, frankly, but we're, we're happy to, to say that, that we're at least moving in the right direction and, and, and supporting our patients uh, in, in kind of across the platform that they prefer to use. Excellent. Excellent. That, that's really, that's, that's congratulations. I think, first of all, on, on that, uh, you know, big move and Eric, any, uh, any thoughts, you know, desktop versus mobile that, uh, you'd like to add from Twilio's point of view? Well, I, I think Ian hit the nail on the head, right? I think the, the acceleration from, from the desktop to the mobile took, took, and it has taken many people <clears throat> by surprise and how quickly that's accelerated. Some of that, of course, comes with the technology of the devices and so on and so forth. But and and as uh, as we all age, we're all now used to the devices, right? So this slow, methodical move of this evolution that we've been talking about for a number of years has really started to 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 take hold, um, and, and and the numbers, you know, are bearing that out. So having a platform that allows a seamless flow from desktop to mobile is something that everyone should be looking into um, to make sure that uh, at the end of the day, there's a convenience factor, right? If I'm sitting in front of my work computer, sure, I can, I can browse and do the things that I need to do. But at the same time, I'm out, I'm, I'm doing things um, and my mobile device is with me, right? So this is really this seamless interaction that, that will, you know, will kind of a recurring theme that we'll touch, touch on um, throughout the day. But I, I, I think that the awareness now is, you know, kind of upon us. We were all wondering when it was going to happen. And, and uh, while the pandemic happened, it, it overtook all of us. And Nisha, just to add a comment to that, maybe it's something you're going to touch on later, but, you know, our patient population uh, and certainly the participants in our copay program are not a young population, right? This isn't, you know, I wouldn't characterize them as a young millennial, uh, you know, very tech oriented population. You know, I think our largest demographic from an age perspective is probably 40 to 65 year olds. Um, so even despite that, and again, I think that fed into our assumptions previously around mobile versus desktop usage, just because of the age of our patients. And we were wrong, uh, on, in, in that respect as well. Yeah. And, and just to kind of remind us, we're talking here about discovery, about the discovery of the copy program. Mm -hmm. So it basically means that patients use mobile, maybe to Google or maybe to search or, or they, they were browsing the web 
as they were, or their emails, maybe on mobile, as they were discovering uh, the patient support program. So it's not that they went deliberately, you know, as part of their, you know, lean forward work computer. No, they were on the mobile looking for, looking for or referred to uh, a patient support program. Uh, and that was the medium that they used. And that's where they discovered and finished the enrollment. So this is kind of to tee up the discovery piece of the patient support program. That's where uh, your patients discovered this resource, uh, which says so much just about how much time, you know, they're spending on the, in front of that medium. And often there's a problem they're trying to solve that has a sense of immediacy to it. You know, they're, they're at the pharmacy and, and they're faced with a high copay and they're trying to figure out what do I do? I, I don't want to, or I can't pay that high of a copay. And in the moment, as they're standing in line or getting ready to stand in line at the pharmacy, they can potentially solve that problem. You know, the expectation that they would, you know, go home and log on to their computer at home and figure this out and come back another day seems pretty inconvenient, right? When, when, when you offer them the possibility or the opportunity to solve that with the phone that's in their hand, wherever they are. And I think that was a big eye opener for us as well. That immediacy of being able to address that problem uh, is, is critical when it comes to your health or when it comes to a cost. And, and a big part of it is, is also in these waiting periods, right? So you're waiting at the clinic um, and you're waiting at the clinic or at the pharmacy and you are engaged with your treatment. You don't have a computer in front of you. You're at the clinic yeah. in the waiting room or handling there, or even in the car, just after you left from the doctor's appointment, like, oh, how do I pay for this? What do I have? And I'm just going to search real quick on my phone and it's right there. And yeah. if it's not then, you might have lost that, that patient. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really important point, Ian. It's got to be right on the spot when it occurs to you because we're just so busy, bombarded otherwise, and, and we'll just kind of keep, can't keep track uh, of, the, um, of, of, of what we have to do. So let's switch gears. Uh, polling question number two, let's switch gears to talk about onboarding. So the, the, the patient discovered the uh, patient support program. Let's talk about onboarding now. So how long on average does it take your patients to enroll in your patient support program from start to finish? Let's see, we had 23 responses last time. Let's see if we can beat that number. Ooh, and the winner is, uh, there's a tight competition there at the top between uh, one day to five days and one hour to 24 hours. 24, first of all, congratulations. We beat our, uh, our record from last time. <laughs> one to five days is the winner, is the very sad winner. Almost half of of our uh, the people here we have almost half of our folks here. It takes one to five days to enroll in a patient support program. Ooh, fifty two percent. Thank you everyone for the contribution and and for the um, transparency. Uh, the, these are these are painful numbers for I think for all of us to see that it takes uh, one to five days uh, to enroll. Well. Let's talk about, this is something that uh, Sylvia from uh, Sanofi uh, was um, supposed to present. She, aren't, she, isn't, she wasn't able to do that today, but look at what they did. It's really, it's really cool. So on mobile, they noticed that there's a drop-off between non-commercially insured patients, right, to the next step. 
So people are coming to Copay. We ask them, or the brand is asking them, hey, did you, um, are you commercially insured? Are you eligible for Copay? Uh, no. Well, option number one, you just lost them. But what they did is introduce the PAP enrollment immediately as a next step. Okay, you're not eligible for Copay? Well, on mobile, yes, it's a different vendor that is handling PAP for this program. One vendor is handling Copay, another one is handling PAP, but you catch the patient right then and you weave it all into the same workflow on mobile and the patient just clicks, with, okay, I'm not eligible for this, I'll go for PAP. Let's see if I'm eligible for PAP. Click, click, click. And this is, this is a really exciting example of how by weaving the workflows into the same place uh, on the same medium, patients are routed to the right program for them. And introducing the PAP enrollment as the next step for patients ineligible for copay is a, is a, was a great way for them to address this drop off and and uh, and not lose these uh, these patients. Uh, Eric, maybe I'll just switch it over. Oh, first of all, Ian and Eric, if either one of you has a comment on this on this uh, kind of example, uh, any takeaways, uh, and then I want to switch to talk to ask you about. You know, patients' expectations, like as consumers. If I had to guess, yeah. uh, uh, to try to interpret the survey results a little bit, you know, the one to five days, um, just based on our experience, I'm guessing a lot of that might be attributed to incomplete enrollment forms. If you're using a paper form, uh, it's not filled out correctly, it's not filled out completely, or you're chasing around either the provider and or the patient to get consent. Um, usually those are the things that end up slowing down uh, the process and anything you can do to, um, you know, kind of offer mobile, but, but maybe more importantly, an electronic uh, way of capturing that data really takes a lot of time out of the process. That's one thing I think that we learned, you know, you have a little more control with an electronic form versus a paper form, making sure all, the, you know, having required fields and doing some kind of error checking on making sure that the appropriate information is entered. Um, you're not trying to interpret handwriting, you know, all the other things that can go wrong uh, with those paper forms. So I think, you know, we've tried to push and, and we're not going to get all the way there, but but we try to steer as much of our enrollment process to, to, to digital. Um, as possible because it's quicker and, and reduces uh, a lot of errors and, and kind of, uh, um, you know, pain points for, for us, frankly. And, and uh, I'm just going to throw a number out there, uh, Ian, for your program, I think the average of enrollment was three minutes and six seconds. Yeah, that's for the copay program. So there, there may be a slightly less consent that we don't have to get from, for example, the provider. It's really just on the patient side and they're right there engaged in the mobile uh, the mobile web interface and and yeah it's it's we, we've made it a, hopefully a painless a less painful process uh, for the patient and I think the metrics back that up yeah I, Eric in I terms think, of uh, co how go ahead no I was gonna say I, I, I think what we're seeing um, as Ian said you know to, to interpret the uh, the survey just a bit you know we're seeing a theme right so 93% of people are using a mobile device, which means they have they have a phone in front of them. Now we're 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 thinking of mobile devices generally as smartphones, but some of the population may still have a flip phone or you know some type of more a more basic uh, communication device, but they still have a device. Um, 
and what you're looking for in a platform and a system is that's going to set up automatic triggers after a certain amount of time. If someone has abandoned a form, um, if there's a reminder to continue where they were, and this um, honestly should be done through a text message. And I say that because my, my, my gut is telling me that there's a lot of reminders that are going to email and the numbers really don't bear out that an email reminder is going to, or an email nudge, so to speak, is, is going to go well. And what I mean by that is, so from an SMS perspective, 98%, Gartner did a study just a couple of years back, 98% of SMS messages are opened compared to 20% of emails. And here's, here's a, another piece of uh, another piece of data in that same study which is just mind-blowing that those sms messages are opened on average in 90 seconds compared to 90 minutes from the 20 percent so it's a much more timely response uh, and a much much higher response rate so when you start to put this together into a platform that again makes it easier on the employees to 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 re-engage or engage people so you're automating some of these processes um, again, abandoned forms or, you know, uh, the next step needs to be taken. So an automatic message is, is sent, right? There's no burden on the employee and, uh, internally to now prompt and nudge uh, these patients or potential patients to, you know, enroll in the programs. You can really start to tighten up these processes. Um, again, could be a reminder to a, to a clinician to, to, to get consent or to approve into a program and so on and so forth, right? So instead of waiting for someone to come back and do it, you actually remind and nudge. Um, and then if they still don't, you now have the ability to outreach and remind someone in the office to, to actually initiate a phone call to call that patient to, to, to verify, right? So there's there's steps that can be taken just in the process to really shore up and, and, and tighten those timeframes. And I, I think what, what uh, Eric is uh, really, really, you know, Emphasizing here, I'm going to rephrase uh, Eric. I think the high level you're saying, guys, this is there's a science here. There's science around messages and around SMS and around how to the timeliness of the messages. And this science uh, is is really about how to optimize open rate. And there are other industries that have completely optimized that space. And and when you layer the regulatory or the legal requirements that as pharma companies we have to address uh, in terms of the opt-in, in terms of the how many text messages we are allowed to send, which is one. We're allowed to send one. The hub is allowed to send one pair, one mess, text message uh, without an opt-in, uh, and that's it. And without and so, but but the timeliness of that message to collect the consent is so critical. Uh, so, and and we're gonna go a little deeper on these, and let's start parsing down parsing the the um, different populations we have, the different mediums we have. Let's talk a little more about, about SMS versus mobile web versus app. Uh, let's, but let's pause for a second for another polling question. All right, in 2020, what percentage of health apps were deleted within 30 days? This is, for, this is your time to guess. And, the, and this time, uh, please, I think, I think we are waiting for you to type in your answers, right? Wow. We have a big spread here. 60, 20, 30, 80, <laughs> 5%. <laughs> it's fine. I think we really have a case here of a wisdom of the crowd where uh, we're just going to average it out and that would be the, 
and that will be the answer. It, this is really interesting. Uh, first of all, thanks everyone. Twenty five answers. So uh, the answer is is forty three percent of all health apps were deleted after thirty days. But uh, if I, I mean, I'm actually I'm curious, Eric, to hear, you know, your interpretation here of of you know the situation. So again, forty three percent of all health apps were deleted after thirty days. Keep in mind, health apps are competing with social games, news, uh, push notifications are mainly turned off. Um, Eric. What, what should we learn from this? Well, I think the the, the, the lesson that's learned here, and we're, we're slowly learning it in, in, in healthcare, is things need to become habits. And simply downloading an app because someone told you, or even it was recommended, let's say, by a physician or a clinician, um, isn't enough to keep you going back into that that application, right? It needs to become a routine. You know, we hear it every year around New Year's on how, you know, how to maintain our, our, our health and exercise and, you know, all of those different things, right? So there's, there's steps to take. And I think that that is the biggest challenge is how can we help people make things a routine over time so it becomes natural. Every morning I wake up when I have my cup of coffee, I check in and I log. Um, and this, this actually leads perfectly into yesterday was a white paper released by, uh, that was put together by Twilio and Penn Medicine and their nudge team. Um, and there's quite a few, uh, quite a few different examples of things that they did. But one I think that would be relevant uh, to the audience here <clears throat> is uh, expectant mothers, right, who have the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the propensity for hypertension, which preeclampsia and, and pregnancy, you know, if that actually happens, you know, really, really, you know, complicated and bad things can happen during that pregnancy, right. So I use this example, because pregnant mothers are very bought into the care, right? They are very aware of what they're doing. Of course, they're you know they're pregnant with their with their unborn child, so they're very tied into the well being of that of of that pregnancy and, and of course the, the the birth of their child, which is very similar, of course, to tan cancer drugs, right? That people are very bought into their care, and the requirement, of course, of these these women was to simply just take their blood pressure every day as opposed to going into a physician's office to have that, right? So they made the program made that that process more convenient for them. So it was easier for them to do by themselves and then enter that number into an app. And they were reminded on a daily basis. And of course the numbers, you know, went through the roof and, and, and the white paper speaks to it very, very well. But it's just, to me, it's a very good example how we can leverage technology, mobile technology to remind people um, to get into the habits of doing those things, right? Whether it's eating right, whether it's taking the medications at the right time, understanding the programs and the steps that need to happen and, and so on and so forth. Um, again, a very, very interesting white paper around uh, some, some other uh, examples in healthcare. But I think, again, this is where we can and should be focusing in the pharma industry and especially pharma industry is how can we help people get into the proper habits of doing the right things. And, and just to uh, comment on that, Eric, you know, I think, that, you know, the number of 43%, you know, we are, we are, uh, we, we, the, the audience that we have here today, we're all bringing therapies to market, right? We're not in the business of designing uh, a habit developing, uh, you know, apps. 
And the um, so when we look at 43% of health app are deleted, this is by people whose job is to make, to build habit developing apps. So the bar is extremely high right now to land an app on your phone and keep it there. And so many programs out there, uh, kind of drug companions, were just deleted very quickly because it's like, it's not something that I feel like doing. And that's the bad news. But the good news is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, almost everything done in an app can also be done today by SMS and mobile web. Uh, is that a fair statement? Yes, absolutely. You're, you're, you're spot on there. So the ability to, again, leverage a platform and, and, and really an ecosystem that allows you to seamlessly move from one platform to another and in between those two platforms is paramount, right? So one of you, we always give the examples of the Ubers and the Amazons, but, but the concepts are very, very straightforward in that um, they make it easy for the consumer or for the patient or for the member to do the things that they need to do, regardless of where they are in that moment. So again, to your point, right? Is it mobile? Is it web? Is it an SMS? Um, do I need to speak to someone? How quickly can I immediately get someone on the phone or even a video consult? So being able to seamlessly move between those is, is, is paramount at this point. But it's all on the same device. It doesn't even matter. Correct. You know, you can delete an app as long as you have the right the right thinking, the right platform there that is able to move you from app to SMS and SMS to app, et cetera, back and forth without losing you. Uh, that's really the meaning of meeting the patient where they are. They choose to be in an app, great. Choose to be, not use an app. And this is a great segue to, to a really interesting uh, research regarding, uh, so regarding those, so I wanna talk about three elephants in the room, okay? First of all, what about those with feature phones? Second, what about the older population? And third, what about phone calls? Okay, so let's start from the first one. There's research by Pew Research found that U.S. population under 30,000 a year in income, over 29% of them have mobile as the only way to access the internet. Again, they don't have a computer. Mobile is the only way for them to access the internet. Eric, is this consistent with uh, what you're seeing out there? Yes, it is absolutely very consistent with what we're seeing uh, here here in the U.S. and actually abroad. We're we're seeing a consistent um, a consistent pattern across across uh, across uh, Europe and, and and APAC as well. Which means that if you're you know a Medicaid uh, patient, you know and and you know, you, you don't have necessarily the income to spend you out of pocket. This means that, again, you, you have, if you, if, if you, if the patient support program or PAP enrollment or whatever you're putting out there for these patients is not on mobile, it doesn't exist for them. There is no other way for them. If it's not mobile friendly, it's just never going to happen. So that, that, that's a really, uh, I think important point. Yeah, go ahead, Eric. No, I was, I was, yes, I was, I was not, not in agreement that, that that's exactly right. No, so let's let, let's do poll question number four, and then we'll talk about uh, the older generation and how they're using uh, mobile technology. So, in 2020, what percentage of 65 plus population in the U.S. used a smartphone? Go ahead, put in your guesses. Then I want to get the statistics on our participation in the polling because I think we are we have the curve going up 
in participation. Come on, let's uh, let's beat the 24 number. All right, look at all these, this variety of guesses, but I would say that if I had to guess, we are looking at an average of, what, 60, 60, 65%. Uh, and, and the answer is that the usage of smartphones accelerated from 60% to 70% for healthcare uh, among this population. Uh, so actually 71% According to Pew, 71% of adults ages 65 to 74 say they are smartphone owners. So three out of four people in the ages of 65 plus. Ian, are you surprised? Eric, are you surprised with these numbers? You expect higher, lower? I might have been surprised um, a year ago. Now, looking at our data a little more closely, um, you know, I believe those numbers. I think that our, our own experience uh, certainly aligns to that, that statistic. Yeah, I, I agree with Ian. I think um, we had a, a, a customer, I had a customer number, oh my goodness, about two and a half years ago, maybe longer, COVID kind of blurs the, the timeline these days, but um, actually in Western Australia, and what they did is they completely digitized their, their inpatient uh, forms and processing. And the reason I bring it up as an example is, again, three years ago, what surprised everyone is that straight out of the gate, 84% of their patients filled out their forms electronically. And the surprise was that that many people were already prepared, again, going back two and a half to three years ago, already prepared to do things in electronic fashion. And I think what we've somehow assumed for so long in healthcare is that people aren't ready, people aren't willing. And I think the reality that we've now really come to know is everyone's chomping at the bit to have easier, better, more connected experiences. We, 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 you know, we've talked about having them in the rest of our lives for so long, but now with, of course, the onset of these, these huge spikes of, of, uh, of virtual visits and so on, um, everyone realizes now that it really is upon us, right? So as Ian said, it, it, it would have surprised me a year, year and a half ago, but, but I think those numbers are maybe even low at this point. And for, you know, and for our purposes, you know, we think about people who are relative, who are sick, right? We think about people who are sick, who are very often on specialty therapies. Uh, very often, if it's, if it's not the patient, the elderly patient who is managing the patient support program, it's going to be their child or their spouse. So whoever is managing that patient support program, they do have a smartphone. They do have mobile. Uh, so, so let's go after one final point, Paul question number five and talk about phone calls. All right, poll number five. What percentage of US answered calls from an unknown number in 2020? By the way, the average of the previous response was 65% I'm being told. We should have another variation here that says how many people answered phone calls from an unknown number and how many answered from a local phone number? Because that's a big trick that marketing agencies do. If they just, uh, they call you from a local phone number. Yeah, and just for, because we're running out of time, uh, the answer is that only 19% of Americans answered phone calls. Uh, and Ian, can you tell us about the pilot that you did where you had patients call your hub? So this is, we're talking not even receiving, but actually making a phone call. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, experiment on our part. You know, previously, a previous uh, implementation of our copay program the barriers to entering the program or enrolling were very low. You could just literally enroll 
anonymously by giving no real information about yourself, which is great in the sense that it made it easy for patients to enroll. It wasn't so great because we had no way to engage or continue the conversation uh, with that patient because we didn't know who they were. We didn't know anything about them. They hadn't consented to any ability to uh, contact them. So one of the things that we tried for a brief period of time is instead of allowing the patients to enroll online, let's drive them to our patient hub and just ask them to call the hub during business hours and enroll that way. And that way we can, you know, capture consent and know a little bit more about them, offer them other services, all these great things, at least from our perspective, that seemed like a, a potential solution. And um, the, the results were, were pretty dramatic uh, and weren't what we were looking for at all. Patients didn't want to call. They don't, you know, sometimes maybe it was uh, outside of business hours when they wanted to enroll in the copay program. They weren't maybe in a location that really, you know, was conducive to having a phone conversation with somebody. They maybe were, you know, not trusting or understanding what we were asking them to do. Like, why do I need to call somebody and have this conversation? Uh, and our numbers plummeted. And I think we ran that for a couple of months with the pilot group, quickly scrapped that plan and, and pivoted over to other solutions. But I think the takeaway for, for me is that, yes, you know, they don't want to pick up the phone to answer calls. They don't want to pick up the phone to make calls either. Because uh, I think there's so many other solutions that are just becoming kind of very well understood and part of their habits. And I think asking them to make a phone call seems a little out of alignment with, with I think, how most of us manage uh, our lives and our information today. Awesome. Well, I think I think the takeaway that we are uh, hoping uh, everybody takes here is mobile is your place to go, but you need to stay more, uh, multi multimodal and mobile. Offer people different options. And we have five minutes left. Let's see if there are any questions from the audience. Please go ahead and type your questions. Oh, here we go. So can you explain your consent process to enable you to send SMS patients to patients? What's the opt-in rate for SMS you are using? And are you using a short code? Ian, I think that's for you. Yeah, so right now our current implementation is allows the patient to enroll in the copay program only. Future implementations will have full integration with our patient hub. We're not there yet, uh, but based on the success of the copay program enrollment, uh, we're going to go ahead and do that. And we have kind of a, a patient hub light enrollment pathway that once they get through the copay program, um, it allows them to either uh, call the hub and, and actually many choose to do that. Uh, they're already in, on, on mobile. They just click a button and, and it just dials up our hub uh, or they can consent to having some of the basic information that we've already collected for the copay program sent to the hub and they're consenting to the hub reaching out to them to complete the full enrollment process. Um, so, you know, we, we don't have enough data on that latter piece for me to give you an opt-in rate uh, today. I think the early uh, indicators are it's working quite well. But, you know, I think the, the proof will be when we uh, are able to really implement the fully integrated solution um, that allows that patient from their phone to be fully enrolled in the hub. But there are, you know, that, that is more complicated. Um, it can be done. Uh, and we believe that is uh, the, the, the right solution for our patients. Awesome. Another uh, question is, um, if patient enrolls in the program via mobile, how did you get the, the healthcare provider's information to verify benefits for those patients that have insurance? Also, how did you get correct dose for the patient from the HCP and, linked, and link it to that patient? Yeah, I think that goes back to some of the complexity I mentioned, you know, that, that um, would be required to integrate you know, the patient and the hub and potentially the pharmacy, in our case, an SP pharmacy and, and the provider. And I think, you know, there are um, 
big pieces of the information that are required to be gathered that the patient can provide. But obviously, there are other stakeholders that need to fill in uh, some of the gaps in that information. I think, you know, the hub really, you know, as the name might imply, right, they're, they're the folks that are going to triage and manage the collection of that information. <clears throat> so, but once they have consent from the patient and the appropriate information, and they'll assign a unique identifier for that patient, you know, they then are able to reach out to the provider and uh, gather the um, missing information. Uh, and gain the provider consent uh, as well. So, you know, I think um, there are great technology solutions to facilitate that. Um, you know, I think it's all quite feasible today. Um, and, you know, I think there are some companies out there doing it and, and doing it really well. Uh, maybe the minority of companies, uh, but, but uh, you know, we, we are seeing increasingly some folks that are making the investment and continue to make that investment. I think that tells me that, that they're finding that, that that's, you know, the ROI is there, the patient benefit is there. Uh, to justify that that kind of investment. Awesome. Thank you so much. We have a few more questions, but we're, I don't uh, I don't think we're going to have time. We have less than one minute left. So I want to use uh, this last minute to say a uh, big, big thank you to, to you, Ian, and to you, Eric, for joining us today. Uh, I learned a lot, and uh, I hope that uh, our audience did as well. I do want to invite, if you have other questions that we did not have enough time to answer, Please find us on LinkedIn, message us, uh, each one of our, us, and I, I think we, you can also find our contact details in the materials for the conference. I want to give a big uh, shout out to the, uh, to the conference organizers, you did a great job. And thank you for our, to our audience participating, uh, contributing. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me, and I hope that also for you. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Eric, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Specialty Patient Podcast. Follow us for even more episodes on any of your preferred podcast streaming services, including Apple and Spotify. You have a suggestion for a topic or a guest? Please send an email to lindsay at helparound.co. And for more information on Helparound, visit helparound.co.